Hello, Woodland Hills Podrishners. It's good to talk with you again. You'll be happy to know that I am not this week afflicted with the spirit of the TV evangelist that I had last week. That was pretty nasty, wasn't it? I've been freed. Glory to God. Uh, I really just wanted to like to thank all of you who responded and became a part of the Sustain campaign. For those of you who would like to still be a part of this, um, you can do so up until Monday, October 18th. And there's more information about that uh, on our website. Keep us in prayer. Really, there's some cool things going on. We can use your prayer support. Thanks for your financial support. And uh, it's an honor to serve you as we together work to build the kingdom. God bless. Begin to experience love to a greater degree as we enter into the life Christ demonstrates that is full, unhindered, and simply free. Transform your fractured, chaotic life into something more, something undivided. My ghost, sitting in traffic on I-94, bumper to bumper, it occurs to me that I'm a dead person driving a car. No one seems to notice. All the working and running and trying, the good life, buried me a long time ago. You'd think someone would start to notice the smell of desperation on me, like a very old cemetery that's grown over with strangling vines. My ghost is showing up for work and kissing my husband and dropping my kids off for basketball practice and paying my bills, or at least trying, and eating and drinking and crying and sitting in church listening to those words and words and words about Jesus. I hear those words from very far away, through a thick curtain of my possessions and the things I'm chasing on my death march. The words, come to me, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all ye that are weary laden, and I will give you rest. The rest that Jesus is talking about there isn't simply a break from the turmoils of life, a temporary reprieve from our struggling and our anxiety and are chasing the kind of rest that Jesus is talking about is something way down deep in the inner recesses of our heart it's a, it's a sense of, of okayness with God and an okayness with yourself and an okayness with the world 
despite its imperfections, there's a sense of peace that goes to the very core of our being. It's a kind of peace you can have in all circumstances. If you're at the top of your game and in perfect health, you have the peace. But you can have it, this kind of peace, have it even if you just found out that you've got terminal cancer. The kind of rest that Jesus is talking about is a sense of congruity of the mind and the heart and our whole self. It's a sense of of integratedness, harmony. The kind of peace that Jesus is talking about, that rest that he wants to give us, is, is, is a sense of fullness of life that goes all the way down. It's a freedom from inner conflict, inner turmoil, the inner striving, the inner struggles, that soul pain that we carry about so often. The kind of rest that Jesus is talking about is uh, it's the rest, it's the peace of an undivided self, a non-fragmented self. I don't think many of us experience that kind of pervasive, soul-penetrating rest very often. But I don't think that we know it. We are, I believe, so used to, so accustomed to our inner turmoil that it becomes sort of just background noise in in our life, and we just get used to it. And what we call rest is maybe a little improvement over that, but it doesn't come close to the kind of rest that Jesus is talking about. We walk around, most of us, most of the time, with with a, a ton of inner clutter, inner noise, inner conflict, inner turmoil. But we're so used to it, we don't even know it. What we usually call rest is simply sort of the absence of conscious striving. The absence... Of, of, of conscious struggling with, with stuff, conscious conflict. But the trouble is, is that the turmoil the, that, that's really important, the conflict that really more decides the quality of our life is way down deep in there, beneath the radar screen of our conscious life. We're just used to not noticing it. In the last uh, couple of years, I've been engaging in a discipline. It's kind of rooted in the scriptural text that we saw earlier about searching your heart on the bed. Uh, it comes out of a long church tradition. And the, what I've been doing is, is I, consecrating the first 20 to 30 minutes of every day to just being still in God's presence while I'm still on the bed, when I wake up. Just being aware of God's presence, aware of His love, and then offering up myself as honestly as I can. Just asking the question, what is real? God's love is real, but what's real in my heart? And trying to offer that up to God and seeing what is there and seeing maybe what he would like to work on. And I've been amazed at what I've found. Things I never noticed before. Things that I, I used to suppress. Been amazed at, at how it, as soon as you get out of bed, it's easy to suppress this stuff and not know yourself. And just ignore the little conflicts that are there in our heart. Been amazed at, at how good I am at suppressing soul pain and not even knowing that I'm doing it. I've been amazed at how what I used to call rest was really simply a temporary reprieve from this soul pain. Been amazed at how good we are at just getting about the busyness of the day, coming into our fragmented world and ignoring the issues that are there. Just yesterday morning, I woke up. Uh, around 4.30, uh, that's pretty typical for me. 
um, and I, in the morning and I'm, I'm laying there in bed and I'm just aware of God's presence and I offer up myself, my heart, asking what is real, what is real, and the love of God, what is real. And I notice, I notice a, a tinge of, of pain or it was kind of an anxiety that was there. And so I uh, just um, say, God, what's that about? I, I'm aware that everything in my life, everything in my inner being is there on purpose. It's there for a reason. It's there to teach me something. It is, as we'll see next week, a clamoring child that needs attention. If we'll notice that child. And so I just take this before God and say, well, what is this? What, what's causing this? This little tinge of pain. And so I trace it back and follow it down the rabbit hole, as it were. And it takes a while. You can't rush this stuff. In fact, in this case, I, I ended up being there for about an hour. Just saying, hey, what is that? And there's no real striving there. It's more of a curiosity. I want to learn. I want to see what this is about. What's causing that? And sure enough, as is always the case, I find when you get to the bottom of it, there's something you're clinging to that you didn't even know. There's an idol that you're clinging to. In fact, in this case, what I found was really surprising to me. It was actually pathetically trivial. It's embarrassing. And no, I'm not going to share it with you. But... <laughs> It was like, really? Really? I thought I was way beyond that. But if I could just be honest with myself, no, you really are that trivial. Um, there's a false belief I was holding on to. And see, that's how our self grows. It's not like there's one united front and we just kind of all move forward. There, there's different facets of ourself. And you can be mature in one area, but there's this other part here that's just kind of stuck. But if you, we don't become disciples of our heart, learn how to listen to our heart, attend to our heart, then we ignore that stuff. We maybe just pay attention to the ways in which we're growing, but there's, other, there's this lag in other areas of our life. So here was this very, very trivial thing. Now, because I'm aware of God's unconditional love, I, I don't need to be ashamed of that. I, I don't need to you know, beat myself for That's just what it is. That's just, yes, that, that's just what's real. And so I can offer that up to God. And say, God, I want to relinquish this to you and, and heal this and, and uh, free me from this. And the pain goes away. But see, it would have been so easy to just get out of bed and get about my work. And that piece of, that tinge of pain immediately goes under the radar screen and is not noticed. Thing is, it accumulates. It's sort of there. And now it gets stuffed and mixed in with all of the other little tinges of pain that I've been ignoring. And before you know it, you got a lot of background noise, you got a lot of clutter, you got a lot of conflict, you got a lot of disharmony, fragmentation in your being, but you're used to it. Thing is, as we'll see next week, that can't help but significantly pollute the quality of your life. For out of the heart comes all the issues of life. The heart is the wellspring of life. Most of us have subterranean noise, subterranean fragmentation. Uh, clutter way down deep in there. We're divided. We're pulled in different directions. We've got pain. And unless we become disciples of our inner heart and are willing to face that head on and deal with that stuff, well, it gets expressed in other ways. We experience it in other ways, less direct ways. Reality always has a way of one way or another coming to the surface. Do you ever feel just sort of numb? You wake up to a sort of numbness. Can you relate to what Terry said in her marvelous poem? Uh, the the I, I, idea of being a ghost. Sometimes you feel like you're, you're sort of a ghost behind the wheel driving down I-94, just kind of going through life. There's a certain kind of deadness that is there. Do you ever like, wake up to a sense that 
the real you isn't showing up for major portions of your life. That you're kind of going through life on autopilot, half awake. Do you ever feel like you're sort of a pinball in a pinball machine just responding to, reacting to the flippers and the knobs and the buzzers and bouncing off the wall? You're defined by external stimuli. Ever feel like a shell where you're almost all exterior and there's no real interior? You're not driving this thing. There's not a center there. You're being defined from the outside in rather than from the inside out. Do you ever feel like that? External stimuli telling you what you need to do, the obligations of the public world. So now's the time when I drive down I-94 going to work. Now's the time when I drop off my kids. Now's the time when I pick up my kids. Now's when I kiss my husband. Now's when I wave hi to the neighbor. Now's when I got to prepare the dinner. Now's when I go to the bathroom. Now's when I do my Bible devotions. Now's when I go to church and hear words and words and words and words. You ever feel like that? A sense of numbness. It's because of this pain that is there. And, and yet we yearn on some level, yearn for more. We, we yearn for, for, for the kind of rest that Jesus promises. A peace that goes all the way down. A wholeness that goes all the way down. An integration that goes all the way down. We yearn for the fullness of life that the New Testament promises us. And maybe we don't understand why we don't have it. It's because it's being negated by all of the junk that we're ignoring and running from in our inner being. See, to experience the rest of Christ, the peace of Christ that goes all the way down, we have to be willing to do soul work, working on our soul. We have to become disciples of the inner world. In fact, as we'll see next week, it is our first and foremost responsibility as disciples of of Christ. There's no quick fix on this thing. And that's not what we want to hear. I know. It's it's like we, we we live in a culture of quick fixes. If you got a pain, you pop a pill. Got a pain in your body, got a pain in, in, your, in your psyche, you just pop a pill and you'll feel better. And there's a place for pain medications. I'm not denying that, but it's not a solution to the pain. It's a temporary reprieve. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why addiction to pain medications is skyrocketing in, in, in America and in England it's because people are medicating not just for their physical, physical pain, but there's, there's soul pain, there's psychic pain. They want to feel less like a ghost behind the wheel. So you pop a pill and you feel normal or, or, or better for a little bit. The trouble is that that just becomes part of the inner clutter, becomes part of the turmoil. It will make you eventually feel more like a ghost because it's not a solution to anything. It doesn't get to the root problem, the cause. You see, we, but we like quick solutions. I want, I want relief now. And then in religion, we've got our own kind of pill popping. You know, we just got our little cliches that are supposed to fix everything. Well, if you've got pain in your soul, just let go and let God give it to Jesus and he'll give you rest. And that sounds pious and there's some truth to that. But see, here's the thing. God won't take from you what you are not letting go. It's a little bit like this. Suppose I'm clinging to a razor blade really hard in my fist. And it's cut my hand all to pieces, so there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of blood. And I go to my wife and I say, Honey, will you take away the pain and clean up the blood? And she says, Okay, let go of the razor blade. But see, if I don't even acknowledge that I'm clinging to the razor blade, she's not going to just rip my hand open. God doesn't turn us into robots like that. He wants us to learn how we ourselves are inflicting pain on ourselves. And, and, and how we ourselves are, are clinging to stuff that's making us bleed, causing... What we usually ask God to do is take away the symptoms, but leave the cause in place. 
But see, that doesn't make us whole. It doesn't make us undivided. It doesn't bring us into the integrity of the kingdom. God wants us to learn how to notice the ways in which we're clinging to stuff, always idols, clinging to stuff that's cutting us deeply. And that's the cause of the pain. And that's the cause of the blood. But we've got to notice that. And he empowers us to take every thought captive, as we sang a little bit earlier before. Uh, He empowers us to open up our hands and offer it to him. And now we're in a position where he can bring his wholeness and his healing and his life. But until we're willing to acknowledge what we ourselves are doing inside of ourselves, we can ask God to take it away, and he'll influence that, and he's trying to get us to let it go, but until we actually wake up and let it go, it's not going to do a whole lot of good. And then another way of approaching this is just to get very, very practical. I could give you seven tips on how to simplify your life. Five tips on how to better organize your, your, your time. Nine steps on having better self-esteem. And those are all wonderful topics. But if they don't get to the root, if they don't get to the, the hand on the inside that's clinging to the razor blade, well, it could very easily just be words and words and more words. We've got to get to the root of the issues. Not something we're used to doing. But that's what this series is about, undivided. You're not going to have a lot of just you know, little... Uh, platitudes and, and cliches and quick fix solutions. Uh, in fact, you're not going to have any of that. Uh, we, we want to take the time to do the work, to learn how to do the work to get on the inside because we need to discover for ourselves how to even look on the inside. We're not used to doing that. We need to discover for ourselves how to search our hearts. We need to discover for ourselves how to learn how to listen to what our heart is trying to say to us and what God's trying to teach us through the pains and the impulses of our heart. And we need to learn how to then to open up our hands and offer it up to God. And we need to discover for ourselves what it is to receive then the healing of God and begin to move into the rest of Christ, the peace of Christ, and begin to then acquire an undivided heart. We've got to get to the root. Now to start to get to the root, let's go back to the first cause. Let's go back to the very beginning. How do we get into this mess? And that takes us back to the story in Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden. God created this paradise, put our first parents in this paradise, put two trees in the middle of the garden because life revolves around these two trees. And the tree was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the first represents God's provision of life for us. He wants to be our sole source of life. The other one represents his prohibition. Don't try to be judged like I am judged. Your job is to love like I love, but don't try to judge and be omniscient like I am. You can't do both at the same time. That was paradise. It revolves around, it's very simple, revolves around trusting God for life and honoring his his prohibition. Things were going very well for a short while, but then the serpent in the form of a snake sneaks in there and plants a lie in Eve's mind, paints a false picture of God, a pathetic picture of God, a God who's insecure, a God who's actually threatened by that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a God who can't be trusted. And then the serpent lies to Adam and Eve and says, if you want life, you can't trust God for life. No, he doesn't have your best interest in mind. If you want fullness of life, you want to be all you can be, well, you've got to look outside of yourself. It's found in that tree. You've got to violate the prohibition. If you want to actualize your full potentiality, there's something you've got to do, something you've got to acquire, something you've got to chase, a behavior you've got to engage in. And so they violate the prohibition and they die, as God warned them. They die physically eventually, but they immediately die spiritually because whenever we break covenant with the God who is the source of life, we die. The wages of sin is death. It's just simply what it means to no longer be connected to life. They die. And that's not just a story about what happened long, long ago and far, far away. It's a story about each one of our lives. 
to the extent that we don't go to our Creator and our Savior as our sole source of life, worth, significance, security, the meaning of our life, to the extent that it's not rooted in Him, to that degree we walk around empty because we're made to feel fully alive. That's our natural state of being. But we've got to be related to God rightly to get that. And when we don't have that, then there's a vacuum inside of us. And when there's a vacuum inside of us, we then buy into the lie of the enemy that life is to be found outside of us. There's something outside of us, and it's always some variety of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Something outside of us that we've got to get, we've got to acquire, a behavior we've got to engage in. And if only we can do that, well, then we're going to be full and, and be fully alive and be all we can be. And so life outside the garden is a life of perpetual chasing stuff. Constantly chasing stuff, trying to acquire stuff. If only I can get the bigger house and the nicer car and the better clothes and get some recognition, get some fame, get these friends, get these pleasures, what have you. Well, then I'll be fully alive. So we're constantly chasing stuff, but it never satisfies, never fulfills. It's what the Bible calls idolatry. Idolatry looks like this. You might think of it like this. Here we have two bananas. Which banana looks better? The one on my left or the one on my right? Left. Trouble is, that's a fake banana. <laughs> Fooled you. See, this is a real banana. And, and even though it's a little bit ripe, I'll grant you that. I got it at the gas station and it's on sale. But see, banana. Well, this is meant to be eaten. This is a good banana. Yes. Got a lot of nutrients, calcium. I'm told bananas are the one food you can live off the longest. Uh, and and uh, if, if all you had was this. Uh, there's enough nutrients to keep you alive. Maybe indefinitely. Monkey's got something going for him. And you put a little bit of peanut butter on this, and man, it's good to go. Since I was like four. Peanut, anyone else here uh, love banana, peanut butter bananas? Oh, I love that. I love it. This one, not so much. <laughs> this one, ooh, I, I actually someone borrowed, lent, lent this to me this morning, and I bit into it. Sorry, I just ruined their banana. This is... If you try to eat this, now it looks, it looks tasty. It looks maybe a little tastier than that. But you try to, if you eat this, well, you're going to have some indigestion. You're going to have some fake banana clutter going on here. You're going to feel a little bit nauseous. Uh, and you're not going to be nourished. There's not going to be any nourishment in that. See, that's what an idol is. It looks good. It looks like the real thing. And if we're walking around and we're not getting life from God, then we're walking around hungry, and now the stuff looks especially good. And if we think this is the real food, well, then we, we start eating this. We devour this. And the enemy is so crafty, it can even taste good going down and give a temporary sense of fullness. But in the end, it makes us sick. We get nauseous. And it doesn't provide any, any nutrients. So we're just hungry again. Trouble is, if we're still buying the lie, then as we're feeling nauseous and as we're feeling empty, we think the solution is simply more bananas. Or maybe you need a better banana, a bigger banana, a different banana, a shinier banana, something. And so you start eating more bananas, which just make you sicker. This is the cycle of, 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 of life in the lie, life outside the garden. We're, we're, we're addicted to banana chasing, fake banana chasing, and we're getting sick because of it, deceived into thinking that the problem is that we need more bananas when, in fact, the bananas are causing the problem. It's a vicious cycle. And, and it, we experience it in our life as this sort of inner conflict, inner turmoil. There can be an inner anxiety, uh, uh, maybe an inner sadness, a sense of alienation. It comes out in different ways, but it's there. It's all for some form of, of fake banana indigestion. And we also feel shame. Because, you see, we know that we weren't meant to be like this. We feel off. We were meant to have this nutrition and fullness that we get from God, but instead we've got 
fake banana indigestion, and so we feel ashamed of this. And if we ever do take the time to look inside, take a break from chasing the fake bananas and look inside, well, then the accuser, which we let in through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all that judgment in our head, he jumps on us and indicts us for having the clutter that he himself let us into. Oh, you loser, what a loser you are, you know. And so we feel this shame and this guilt as we look inside, which gives us one more reason to run from it. We don't like that kind of pain. When you look inside, you're gonna, you are going to see stuff that you, like I did yesterday morning, you'll find stuff there that maybe is embarrassing or it's, it's you know, it's, it's just, if anyone else knew this, oh, it'd be so shameful. And so we run from that. That's painful. It's much funner to chase bananas. Here's where the pleasure is. You know, this is where the distraction is. This is where the entertainment is. This is where you get some, some accolades from other people. And so we neglect our inner self and we run from our inner self. This is why our world, the world outside the garden, is so externally focused. It's, it's so externally focused. We put a high priority on what's outside of us and a very little priority, if any, on what's inside of us. Uh, outside of us, this is where the bananas are. <laughs> what's important, we're conditioned to think this way. What's really important is what other people can see. What people can't see or experience, well, that's not important at all. Uh, what's really important, here's where the bananas are, is, is what I can do that gives me a status and gives me approval and gives me applaud and gives me fame and gives me recognition and gives me acceptance. That's what's important. And no one else can see my inner world, so that's rather unimportant. This is why most people spend far more time fixing their external appearance and external world than they do working on their inner world. That's what's really important here. That's what the bananas are, you see. I, I saw an interview with uh, Raquel Welch uh, recently on television. For those of you who are too young to know this, she was a 70s sex symbol. And uh, she just wrote a book on how to stay young. So she's on this show, and she's in, like in her mid to late 60s, uh, and, and she looked good. I mean, it, it, she would pass for 40 easy. I, and I don't know what sort of help she's had staying that young, but she looked really good. I, I got to grant that to her. Uh, remarkable. And uh, so she has this book, and she's kind of promoting this book. And what I, I, I liked about this, I mean, God bless her. Um, but uh, she was very honest. And she says, to keep looking like I look at my age takes a lot of work. you got to be willing to work on it, baby. And among other things, she says, it takes me several hours every morning to put on my, she called it her game face. Several hours. you got to get it all tucked in the right way. you got to cover up this. you got to do this. And, and she look great. But there's a lot of work that went into that. And I thought to myself, how many people take their inner world half that seriously? Where we're willing to put in an hour or two to beautify our inner world. See, we just don't think like that. What's important is what people see. That's where the accolades are. That's where the fake bananas are. That's where the life is. So we believe under the lie. We don't, we don't invest that kind of priority to our inner world, the state of our heart, guarding our heart, beautifying our heart. It also occurred to me that what Raquel Welch was doing was, was chasing a very common banana. I don't fault her for it. I mean, it's really good to look as good as you can. Fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Stay healthy as you can. But, but there's, a, there's a fake banana chasing going on here. Because in our culture, one of the most common fake bananas is you get points for looking sexy. You get points for looking young. You get points for not having wrinkles. You get points. You get bananas. You get a nice juicy bite if you uh, don't have a midriff bulge. Basically, if you don't have any of the things that are going to inevitably happen to you when you start turning 50, 60, and 70, well, then you get points for that. 
And, and if you believe that and, you're, and that's the banana you're after, well, then you will work that hard to try to stay that young and stay that sexy and defy gravity and, and all the rest. You see, it's all of a, a, we're in a culture, in a world outside the garden that puts such a priority on the external world, so we neglect, neglect and even run away from our heart, our inner world, the clutter that is there. But unless we become disciples of our inner world, well, then we experience that, that, that numbness, that, that uh, shell kind of existence where we're all exterior, no internal, we, interior. Before you know it, you'll wake up as a ghost behind the wheel or a pinball machine that is bouncing off external stimuli. And you're wondering, where's the rest? Where's the peace? Where's that wholeness that goes all the way down? And you can ask God to give it to you, and, and that's good. I mean, give him some place to, to, to operate in your life. Any, any talking to God is good. You can ask God to take away the pain and to, and to give you that peace. But if you're clinging to the razor blade, even though you don't know it, if you're clinging to that razor blade, you're going to keep on feeling pain. You're going to keep on bleeding. And I can take, give you seven steps on how to simplify your life and, and five steps on how to better organize your time and nine steps on how to have better self-esteem. But if you're clinging to the razor blade and cutting yourself and got all this internal banana clutter going on, then, then, then it's not going to do a whole lot of good. And you can pop a pill and that will give you a little bit of relief for a little bit of time, but within a couple hours you're back to the same old deadness that you had before, but now it's complicated more because there's more turmoil as you worry about how you're going to get your next pill. If we're going to move forward in having an undivided heart and experiencing the rest of Christ, we've got to get real with what is real. We've got to become disciples of our inner world. We've got to make the inner world a priority, not just a priority, but really it should be the priority. Because out of the heart comes all the issues of life. It is the wellspring of life. That's what this series is about. Now, let me say a word about, about this series. This book is called Undivided, and we're asking everyone to read this book and go through it. Um, it's a book that Terry Churchill and I wrote uh, but Terry basically wrote the whole thing. She's got my material. I wrote some of the chapters, but she rewrote it to give it one voice, and, and she included all the exercises and reflections. And I want to say that I, I think she was inspired when she did this. Uh, the, it, this is a surgeon's knife that has a way of getting in there just right. Um, it was, it was, it's just an anointed piece. It's not the kind of book you can consume, and this series isn't the kind of book, uh, series you can consume. I know what it is to consume books. I consume them all the time. I'm a voracious reader. I'm addicted to books. I, I, can, I can go through books very quickly, and, and, and I, I get the information. And that's fine and well and good for most books, not this one. You can't consume this book. This is the kind of thing where, I mean, if you wanted to consume it, you could do it in, in, in an hour, easy. But, but it's the kind of work that you need to read slowly and prayerfully and reflectively. It's the kind of book you need to participate in. You need to show up. You did really show up with, with your whole being as you, you, you engage in this book. And half of the book deals with reflections and exercises. And, and I encourage you individually and if possible with others in a small group to go through these exercises. If, if we're not willing to invest the time to, to experience this, this could very easily become nothing more than words, words, and more words. One more distraction from the banana indigestion that's, that's, that's plaguing your life. If we want to move into that wholeness that goes all the way down, we've got to be willing to take the time and show up and become disciples of our inner world. The first step in moving towards an undivided life 
The first step, and it's a step that we'll come back to every chapter, in one way or another, every sermon, uh, because it's a step we never leave. It's a step that I was still engaging in yesterday morning as I'm resting in my bed in God's presence. And that is simply to, to wake up, to wake up and notice what is real. Because we've been conditioned to neglect this inner world and run from this inner world. We, 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 most of us don't know really how to become disciples or even hear that, 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 that inner world, hear what your heart is saying. And so the first step is to wake up to what is really going on, to be honest with what is really going on. Now that requires two things. First of all, it requires time. You can't do this quickly. You just can't. It's like you can't get to know another person unless you're willing to sit down and, and, and just sort of be together and talk about all sorts of trivial stuff. And maybe eventually some important stuff begins to rise to the surface. And now the relationship develops more deeply. It's no different than getting to know yourself. To get to know yourself, know your heart, you've got to hang out with it once in a while. Like regularly. And it takes time. But see, because we're conditioned with this external focus, that can feel like a waste of time. It's not producing anything. It's not acquiring any banana. Actually, it's acquiring the most important food of all. But see, if we're bought it, buying it alive, then that just feels like a waste of time. I'm sitting here talking to myself, what good is this? What the heck? What's going on here? We've, we've got to take the time to just be in God's presence. It takes time. Uh, the second thing it requires is trusting God's love, trusting God's character, which means collapsing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, collapsing the accuser, collapsing our judgment. Because if that judgment is still there, I guarantee you what happens is this. Though we don't even notice it, but this happens instinctively. It's part of our autopilot. But we'll look inside, okay, what, what, what's real there? And before long, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll see stuff that shouldn't be there, stuff that we don't like. We'll see banana cutter, cutting, I'm uh, banana cutting, <laughs> mixing metaphors, banana clutter and holding on to razor blades, razor cutting going on. And we're going to go, ooh, and if that judgment is still there, it'll, it'll, it, it, you'll hear a voice, bad, you are bad, I'll trivial you, you are a loser. And that just gives you one giant motivation to try to run from this. It's not pleasant. If that accuser is still there, what usually happens is as we begin to go inside, all of a sudden, I forgot, I need to go buy some new shoes. Oh, yes, there's a dinner to cook. Oh, I got to go get some groceries. Oh, that, you know, I really should make my bed. Maybe it's time for a Bible devotion. Um, you know, I, 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 there's a book I really want to read. There's, our brain will do anything under the influence of the accuser to run from that inner world. Remind yourself of God's love, ever-present love. Stay present to his love. And that... He already knows everything you're going to find. And he loves you anyways, which gives, makes it safe to be honest, ruthlessly honest with what's going on on the inside. And then we can begin to offer it up to God and begin to move towards an undivided soul as he brings healing into our life. So I want to end here in the last three or four minutes by just putting our toe in the water, as it were. Uh, just, just doing a little short exercise. It, it's one that, that uh, Terry has at the end of the first chapter. And um, so I'd ask, I, I'd ask you to close your eyes for a moment here. Even though it's a little bit weird when you're in a room full of other people, but I, w- I want to ask you to go, go within. Try to block out everything else and go within. And be aware right now that you're in the presence of perfect love. Loved with an everlasting love, a love that was expressed on the cross. God is here. And hear the voice of God with your name on it, because God always speaks personally to us. And he says, you, I, 
I love you with an everlasting love, an unconditional, unwavering, perfect love. I know you infinitely better than you know yourself. And there's nothing you'll ever discover about yourself that I haven't known all along. But I've loved you all along. So it's safe to be honest. Safe to be honest. I want the real you. The razor clutching you. Be honest. And now, if you can imagine yourself at the end of your life, fast forward to the end of your life. Maybe you're on your deathbed. Somehow you're looking back on your whole life, going back to this moment. However you represent that. Picture yourself, sense yourself, hear yourself at the end of your life. And your life between now and then has been exactly as it's been this last week. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? The next 10 or 40 or 60 years has been lived out exactly as it's been this last week. How do you feel? Are there, is there a sense of regret or is there a sense of gratitude? As you're sitting there looking back on your life, what do you wish had been different? Holy Spirit, help us to learn. I want to encourage you right now, don't try to fix anything. Don't even make pledges or promises. We, we, don't do it quickly. You've got to savor, you've got to savor the problem before, we give an, before God gives us an adequate solution. So just right now, sit in, in the context of God's love, without any judgment, just sit and observe as though you're watching somebody else and learn. Uh, Ask the question, how do you feel here at the end of your life looking back on a life that's been exactly as it's been this last week? How do you feel about how you used the time that was given you? The time you spent working, the time you spent playing, the time you spent praying, the time you spent with others, the time you spent with yourself. How do you feel about it? What do you wish had been done differently? Holy Spirit, teach us. Look into your heart. Search your heart. And as you look back on your life, going back to this moment, and it's been exactly as it's been this last week, how do you feel about your relationship with stuff? The the things you possess, the things that you acquired or were trying to acquire. Do you feel like, as you look back on your life, that it was a bunch of clutter? Was it worth it? Was it in accordance with God's will? What would, do you feel regret? Or do you feel good? What, if anything, would you do differently? Again, if you have any sense of judgment about this indictment, just realize that that's just your dysfunctional brain, uh, you know, the enemy trying to use that, and just turn from it and remind yourself of God's perfect love. Because he loves you, this doesn't affect his love for you. you. Just be honest with it. Don't try to fix it. Don't get mad at it. Don't get frustrated with it. No, just let it be. Just let it be and observe it. 
Now is the time to learn. Holy Spirit, teach us about the reality of our hearts. Search us, O God, and help us to wake up to what is real, that we can offer it authentically up to you and receive the wholeness and integrity and fullness of life that you came to give us, that the enemies tried to kill, steal, and destroy. I want to ask the prayer teams to come up here, uh, and if you have any need whatsoever that you would like to have prayed for at the end of the service, I, I want to encourage you to come forward. I'm going to end with a corporate prayer here. It's the prayer that is found at the end of the first chapter. I also want to remind you to stop by and and, uh, talk to Dave and Joy about boxes of love and to pick up a book if you don't have it or sign up for a a temporary small group that will be studying this together. All those things are available. But could we stand? And here's a very short prayer that Terry uh, uh, wrote at the end of the chapter. And let's pray together. Abba, Father. Our hearts are so cluttered with the debris of distraction and old words we rehearse over a thousand times a day. But we're done with that now. Clear a space in us, Lord. Make it big enough for whoever you've sent us to love and big enough for you. Amen. Go in peace. God bless. Thank you.